Welcome back to the Jiu-Jitsu Dummies, everyone. Sponsored by Fightback CBD. Get 15% off your CBD order at fightbackcbd.com. Use code JJD at checkout. Also want to thank one of our newer sponsors, Flow and Roll. At Flow underscore the letter N underscore Roll. It's Flow and Roll on Instagram. Uh, they sell really cool jujitsu t-shirts other and other apparel online. You can check them out at flowandroll.com and get 10% off your order. Same code JJD. But you really got to check out this uh, their Instagram. On their Instagram, you're going to see all the custom work that they do. You can get your belt embroidered or uh, custom geese, no gi shorts. They do all of that, MMA shorts, everything. All right, we're working with them on a, on a jiu-jitsu dummies gi that'll go probably mostly out to our Patreon winners. I'm not sure if we're going to have it for sale, but I think it's going to be for winners, so it'll be a, an exclusive. Uh, and uh, stay tuned to the end of the episode. We'll talk about all the giveaways that we're doing. We've got some really cool stuff going on. All right, guys. Thank you for tuning in. It's episode 21, quarantine show number six. Uh, hopefully this is the last quarantine show. I actually invited Junior, everybody, uh, but Junior's uh, got a new gig, so he wasn't able to make it. Hopefully he'll be with us on episode 22. I am Milton Campus, Purple Belt Fight Sports Coral Springs. Still rolling solo. These are solo drills. But uh, with me today is Henzo Gracie Black Belt, John Combs. Welcome, John. Thank you for being with us. I'm happy to be here, man. It's going to be a good time. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, so go ahead. I hate uh, giving everybody's resume because I don't like to forget anything. So go ahead and tell people a little bit more about yourself, how long you've been training, when you got your black belt, you know, where you're training currently with this whole quarantine situation. But go ahead and give us a rundown. Yeah, man. So I uh, got started, you know, I was 14 in 2005. Uh, you know, my uh, mom thought, uh, you know, a, a kid in, you know, teenage years could use more things to do than just video games. Okay. So I suggested I, I go uh, uh, try the summer conditioning program for my uh, high school wrestling team. I really liked it. You know, wasn't very good, but I, I definitely, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have a similar story with wrestling, but go ahead. <laughs> so got started, enjoyed it, and, uh, you know, went through high school, wrestled all four years there, dabbled in a little bit of jujitsu, um, Actually got a uh, in my junior year somebody challenged me to a wrestling match oh, and uh, so, challenge. So do you know? Have you, have you ever seen the movie? Uh, oh, I forget the movie. Jonathan Lipnicki. Do you know the actor? Who he, he, I, I forget the movies he was in, but I was like way back in the day. But he, I went to high school with him. Okay, and uh, he challenged me to a match, and I, I double legged him real quick, put him down. And then I'm just smashing him from half guard, and he grabs a Kimura and like puts it behind my back, and I'm like, "What? You know, what is I, this I, I, magic yeah, that yeah, you have? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, how how could you beat me? Your shoulders were on the floor. What's going on here?" And uh, that kind of instilled the initial curiosity in it. Right. And uh, you know, in, in between my junior and then freshman year of college, so junior high school, freshman year of college, didn't didn't do that much jujitsu. You know, I was more. Uh, Kind of dinking around. I was playing the UFC video game a lot. That okay. was uh, kind of, yeah, yeah. in between senior year of high school and college. That was a substantial portion of my time. I mean, That's, it's good prep. It's good training prep. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, well, if what I'm doing ten years in the future, man, yeah. not, not too bad. So, so uh, dabbled a little bit there in college. I went to CU Boulder. Uh, graduated in 2015, but I went here because uh, they had a club wrestling team. They accepted me. I just figured it'd be, be a good fit, and. Uh, Wrestled with them for three years. I All-American in 2011 by placing nice. fourth at NCWA. So that's club wrestling. Um, and following that, I wrestled my junior year as well. 
that one didn't go quite so well because a lot of uh, Division One teams actually dropped a club. Okay. And it's this uh, Liberty University, a very mm. uh, skilled wrestling team. Mm-hmm. And their, their A guy beat me in the stinking quarters, and then their B guy beat me in the blood round. They both beat me by one point. And there, yeah. was, this, there was this great picture of me in, like, the last two seconds of the match. They try to get a single leg, and the guy's coach just going like, ah! and this is a funny moment a sad moment for me but uh you know good to take a little humor away from that but then uh right after that man i jumped in uh did pan ams so you know after really a devastating loss in wrestling and actually i i I imagine most high school wrestlers say the same you know after high school wrestling ended i hit a big depression and then uh when i stopped wrestling in college and you know i didn't slow down at all i just said i'm just gonna go to jiu-jitsu you know, okay. there was no, there was no break. There was no depression like there was in high school. So I just jumped right into jujitsu and got my cauliflower ear in 2012 oh, at Pan Am's. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. How, yeah. How old are you at that point? You said you came right out of college. Yeah. Uh, so that would have been 2012. That would have been right around my junior year of college. I was 21 at the time, I believe. Okay. Right. Yeah. 21 to 22. That's right. When I, uh, that was when I got, when I went to Pan Am's initially and then, uh, did pretty well in 2012 up until August. Then I got a really bad knee injury that mm-hmm. it actually sidelined me for about a year and a half. So okay. during that time, I focused on school. Did pretty well there. You know, I got my uh, emergency medical technician B. Uh, I actually, um, all things I got EKG certified. So you know that like heart machine monitor. Oh yes, I know it very well. Yeah, I can actually read that. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Not, not well. Not well. I got but my little EKG from the day I had my heart attack on my arm as part of my jujitsu tattoo. So, heck, yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah. So dabbled in a little bit of that, and then um, came back. Thought I might want to do some MMA in 2013, okay. and then trained with Elevation Fight Team for a lot. There, uh, you know, out of Denver, Colorado. You know, Justin Gaethje just had an amazing. Performance. Oh yeah, that was a great fight. Yeah, amazing. Drew Dober. Uh, you know, he's ranked now. So like the the team's Beast. doing. Really well, really well. Uh, so I started training with them in right around 2013, right when the team started. Mm-hmm. And, you know, dabbled with it a little bit, but then did a couple sparring sessions, got rocked around a little bit, and it was just, you know, not for me. <laughs> and uh, decided just to focus on jujitsu and okay. finish my degree, and that ended up going pretty well. Um, so as I went through school, you know, in 2014, uh, that was kind of the year where I went from, like, just a tough purple belt so, you know, I started to have some decent, you know, uh, engagements, uh, like, uh, the, the beginning of 2014, I was letting people arm bar me to pass guard, you know, standard wrestler, <laughs> wrestler. <laughs> go ahead and do it, bro. And then, then, <laughs> yeah. It's on YouTube too. Uh, this guy, Ben Hodgkins, Hodgkinson's, he was okay. at the ADCCs, but yeah. we, we had a match, uh, in 2014. It's on YouTube and, and it's pretty funny. Cause I literally, he, uh, I pass, I think on a Kimura, like somehow I just jump over a Kimura and then I get to mount real quick and then it gets back to guard and somehow I got seven points. Oh, okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's a funny match. And then as 2014, 2015 went through, you know, Purple Belt went well. And then at the end of 2015 with uh, the first fight to win pro in Denver, Colorado, uh, that was, I was a brown belt going against a black belt. And I submitted him, you know, with Armin Guillotine. That was kind of uh, the you know, first big breakout. And then 2016 had a really good run at Pan Am's at Brown Belt, you know, won mm-hmm. that when, uh, three arm and guillotines, uh, a Darsena to hold. And then, um, that, then black belt. That's your yeah. move. Let me interrupt you for a second. Is that your move? 
I just got my Flow Grappling subscription, so now I'm like, uh, you know, I'm studying my uh, my interviewees here. So ah. uh, they said something like the what is it, the Combsatine or something they called it. So <laughs> in, in 2016 in Buenos Aires, Argentina, I was there with uh, you know the Flow Grappling team, Ricardo Mendolia, he was one of their head uh, commentators, and uh, when I was doing one of my matches, you know, I done very well pan ams with that arm and guillotine and so they were talking about it and while i never hit a guillotine there they were just talking about it named it the combatine okay and so now, yeah combatine yeah that's, that okay. was his name for it and it just kind of stuck and you know it was a good like that was my first competition at black belt and then since then i mean shoot i'll go look up bjj heroes right now um i think i have 12 guillotines i'm not entirely sure but uh the, Sky I, I do the skype id makes sense now <laughs> your Skype ID makes sense now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, um, so run it black belt at Pan Am's, and then and then where did you at, go? At Brown Belt. At Brown Belt, then, I'm sorry. Yeah, and then you know that was kind of the peak ego for me. It was right when uh, right after I beat Pan, one Pan Am's, I kind of you know I remember somebody telling me, "Oh, dude, you were on such a roll there. You looked amazing." And I was like, "What are you talking about? That was just me. That was normal." It was like, no, no, the rest of black belt wasn't like that, man. And most. Mm -hmm. I mean, my record is 49 and 41. That, that's, uh, that's my record. And then I have just about, let's see, between guillotines and Armin guillotines, that counts for exactly 50% of my win rate. I have 19 submissions by guillotine. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So you can name your own move. Or someone can name a move after you. That's the thing, right? <laughs> right? Like you can't, you, you, you shouldn't. it. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I didn't name myself. Somebody else did. Now I can own it. I've yeah. I've got a move. I've got I've been uh, I've had a move name for me. They call it the Abu Ghraib. Ooh. Yeah, it is when I wear a t-shirt over my rash guard mm -hmm. and lay on your face in the uh, north south position. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you get they get waterboarded. They can't breathe and they tap. So <laughs> the the belly has a little something to do with it too. But uh, yes, it's been. Uh, it's, I've, uh, I have my own move. <laughs> I've recently been uh, training in the kimono a little bit, okay. you know, like imaginary training with imaginary people. Wink, oh, yeah. wink, oh, no judge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, dude, I remember I was on bottom of a uh, mount and just the lapel came over my face and like my anxiety just like spiked <laughs> like 200 out of 100. And then like two seconds later, I'm like, John, you've been here 10,000 times. Breathe in through your nose. <laughs> chill out. Off balance. Let's get out of here. And then it was just like for one second, I totally threw everything to the wind and then, you know, calm down, get my escape and got out of there. But dude, not being able to breathe there is so, like, you just need to mentally prepare uh, for that. So yeah. are you, are you training? Are you still training gi? Or again, I saw an interview with, with you, uh, that said you were going to, you're going to be focusing on gi. I don't know how old that interview was. I think it was, uh, uh, submission underground four. Yeah. Before Gilbert Burns. Yeah. Ooh, that, that was a while ago. And I yeah, think I had, so. and yeah, I would say since <laughs> then, cause that was in 2017. So okay while ago um and i was a bit more focused on the nogi then I, I've, I've always kind of been 50 50 nogi gi okay uh, since i picked it up um i mean historically speaking from like 2010 to uh, like 2016 at easton training center in boulder i would train 90 percent in the gi 90 percent of my training but if you add up my wrestling and then the time i spent 2017 on it's about half and half okay so most of my initial early learning phases was in the kimono and then, you know, took off the kimono and started uh, the, to have some things work out pretty well in the nogi and uh, focus with it. That's funny that I said it in that podcast because, yeah, you know, you take a look three and a half years later, you've know, done some yeah. impressive things in nogi. I've done some okay things in the gi, but let's focus on the nogi. <laughs> <laughs>
We can talk so, about that later. Let's uh, let's give. Uh, let me jump in here and just give Jits King uh, a, a, a big shout out. Uh, Jits King Promotions. Can't wait to see you perform on there, the June thirteenth event. Uh, you can check it out exclusively on Flow Grappling, right? They're not going to have an audience. Uh, I just talked to Eddie today. I think I may be going up. Not 100% sure. So I uh, still have my Flow Grappling su- subscription. Hey, Flow Grappling. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Okay. Um, uh, I'm ready for tournament season, but, you know, this one, again, for most people, you know, I- I'd rather be at the event. I'm more of like I like the experience of the event, but, you know, I'll take it if, uh, if I don't wind up going. So, you know, how do you feel competing right now when there's not going to be an audience? Does it make any difference to you whatsoever? Is it better, worse? Don't care. Uh, so I'll say the like, the one time I got really bad anxiety was that first fight to win in 2015. Mm-hmm. That was my first time ever competing underneath the lights on a raised stage. And it's mm-hmm. almost always some variety of that. And during that exchange, I was just overcome by anxiety. Mm. And then I'd say just about every time I do it, I just get a little bit better at handling that anxiety than I was before. And at this mm-hmm. point, I, I'm, I'm pretty good at handling it, man. You know, I've, I've visualized in my head how it's going to go. I see the warm-up happening. Uh, you know, not having the crowd there is something I'm visualizing and preparing for. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, I usually, you know, it's usually not such a big problem with the lights and everything. So, you know, uh, I'm preparing for a very different day of the event than I would normally have, especially the uh, first, you know, three to five hours, because I'm anticipating that the tournament's going to take about six hours, something like that, a long time, because mm-hmm. they're going to have to desanitize the mats after every match. They're, it's going to take <laughs> a that. huge amount of time. So, uh, you know, I'm sure some of my rivals are listening, but like, you need to mentally prepare yourself for hours in between your matches. And, and that mm-hmm. was uh, a big key of my success at the ADCC trials was, you know, not you know, you show up to an average tournament, you know, like a local fight to win or another uh, type of event, you know, you, you, you have your event start and it should end within two hours. Zish, you know, usually yeah, yeah. that's about how it goes. And these are crazy uh, you know, tournament events, these crazy super fights, like mm-hmm. you just don't know what the time's going to be like in between. Like most, the past two super fights I had this year, one was at 11.15, the other was at 11.30 p.m. Oh. And, you know, I anticipated that by pushing my sleep schedule back and visualizing and preparing for that day. You know, normally I'm in bed by like 9, 30, 10, but I was getting to bed at 2.30 in anticipation of that. So uh, a lot of that visualization and preparing for it. And this, this term is going to be weird. It's going to be really weird. You know, there are going to be no fans. You know, there's going to be you and your competitor probably going to be isolated. You're going to go out there. There'll probably be a cameraman or two, uh, the referee, and there won't be any coaching. So it's it's going to be weird. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a lot like uh, – private training, you know, if yeah. it's just you and somebody else in a room with one person watching. And uh, I think that's an environment upon which I thrive. Yeah. So I'm actually really looking forward to this event. Uh, How much does the visualizing play into your training? You, you said that a few times. Is that something that you're always doing even, you know, on a, you said you trained this morning, you know, is that oh, yeah. something that you're only doing in preparation for matches, but are you, are you always thinking in that sense? So it's something I encourage my students to do. Um, uh, so I, uh, when I start practices here, I have about 15 minutes before practice where we're just hanging out, we're talking, we're foam rolling, using the so right. Yeah, yeah, I've got yeah, a whole I got like, yeah, I got an armory of things that I have mm-hmm. that people just foam roll. We're just chilling, you know, 15 minutes hanging out. Then uh, five minutes of active stretching. I don't like to. See, there's some passive stretches that are good. I need to talk to a mentor of mine and figure out those and kind of outline what passive stretches might work before. In my opinion, I had a lifting coach that would really heavily emphasize that. 
active stretching before prepares your muscles to take load. Whereas when you do passive stretching before it interferes with the communication of your muscles. Okay. So it actually makes you more likely to get injured. So, uh, I, I, I would suggest a lot of passive stretching after your yeah. activity. I wouldn't suggest it doing a, a lot of passive stretching before there are some that are good, but just by and large active stretching. And then from there, I also do some glute dominance, which are uh, some exercises I talked about in a podcast, you know, two days ago. And it's probably something I should do a video on because it uh, forms a big component of what I uh, spend day to day, uh, doing, trying to enhance my athleticism, which just means you're trying to make the posterior chain, which is the fascia from your forehead down to your toes, you know, goes through your glutes, your lower back, your hammies, uh, trying to get that stronger. And the mm -hmm. front side of your body a little, uh, little, little uh, quieter with uh, like uh, the myofascial release and the glute dominance. Mm -hmm. And then from there to get to what we started talking to, um, the visualization and solo drilling. So I have five minutes outlined for people to solo drill before. And what I always try to emphasize, uh, if they're early students, then it's just side to side bridging, come up to turtle, sit down. So, and, and that's super easy, basic combo. It's like A, B, A, you know, you're doing that simple sequence. But then as you start to get more sophisticated, I, I, I encourage them to connect a motor function, your uh, solo drill that you're doing with that side to side bridging, shrimping, coming up on a single leg, weight bearing posture, attacking from mount, you know, any number of things you can be doing like uh, in John Danher's solo drilling DVD that's free. If you're watching, you want to go get it, go get it. Um, I'm BJJ Fanatics. Uh, he goes over, you know, this entire like he outlines everything for you. He tells you how to get it done, like, yeah. and it's free, and it's it's just sitting there for is you. That the, is that the newest free one they're giving? I know you, I saw you do. You had a little uh, a post on Instagram yeah. showing people how to go through. Is that yeah. their latest free one, just for the quarantine? It's, it's still free, man. Yeah. yeah. You know, okay. I I gotta give credit to those guys. Yeah. You know, they uh, came in and they really dominated that sector of the industry because they did it right with the right people. But man, they've taken care of the athletes. They're taking care of the community when they need them. Like they're help. They directly talk to the athletes. Like yeah. they're a lifeline for people such as myself coming up that would not have had available any, anything like it. So, yeah. you know, just, just grateful for all these instructionals, but you know, to get back to the uh, solo drilling. So every solo drill should have a motor stimulus. I'm sorry, a sensory stimulus that you want to connect to your motor function. All that okay. means is if you're bridging side to side, you want to imagine, am I getting out of side control? Am I trying to off balance from mount? What am I really trying to do here? So when you combine that sense, uh, that imagined sensory input with the motor function, it kind of like when you're actually playing, it's like a video game where you see the information coming in, you press a button in your brain and mm -hmm. the motor response happens instantly. And that's where uh, a human reaction time is a quarter of a second. And that's where a lot of uh, like the best guys start to really function well is that they absorb the information and then within two quarters, uh, within half a second, they observe and then they do. Mm -hmm. And there's no, there's no lag in the uh, thought process there. And that's what you're trying to create when you're solo drilling. And that's what you're doing when you're drilling. That's what you're doing when you're training. You're trying to reinforce these neural networks so you can observe a stimulus, respond to it, and have the outcome uh, that, that you want to have happen. Come. So that, that, that relates to the whole like visualization while you're drilling. And then uh, the visualization I think you were talking a little bit more about when we got there is more about like what do I do day of? And yeah. a big Thing for me that I discovered uh, from like 2013 until like 2018, like right before the ADCC trials, was how much my anxiety the day of the event would uh, affect my performance. Okay. So a big thing that I started to think about was how can I get myself to suffer as little, uh, to, to waste as little energy or a mental, physical, spiritual, whatever you want to call it, uh, before the actual event itself and just try to get 100% of my resources 
to that event so that when I step out on that mat, as much of me is there as possible, not letting, you know, waking up late, hitting traffic, not getting the warm up right, not weighing in right, not having mm-hmm. the right, all these different things that can absorb some of your focus and energy, uh, trying to reduce that with planning as best you can and anticipate the bull crap that can happen. And then when all of that comes together, the odds of you having a good performance might only have gone up by one or 2%, but shoot, man, with the people grappling nowadays, dude, like these 16 guys, any one of us can do it. Yeah. Any one of us can. It's going to be these tiny little differences that are going to uh, mean a huge difference. So, and that's uh, sort of why the visualization day of is important. Visualizing your uh, solo drilling with your techniques is important. And then, uh, you know, as as I get further here, and you know, I have uh, like mats here in my apartment as well. I'm probably going to get to a point where I start filming, and you know, mm-hmm. try to really break things down in that regard. I think that's the next step of what mm-hmm. I got to do to improve my jujitsu. Because uh, like just uh, earlier, I was uh, trying to finish an arm triangle on somebody. And there was a, a match at the ADCC trials where I kind of famously held out and escaped one. And my training buddy, my roommate, was uh, resisting. And I went full 100%, like everything I had into it. And uh, the problem wasn't my strength. It was that he had, some, he, had a few, he had some hands inside there. And I needed to, you know, take a second look at the problem, solve the problem, and then go back on my choke. But I wasn't willing to do that. And I just tried to push through and be a brute. And, you know, that wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't using uh, appropriate planning or technique. I was just trying to brute through something. And that did not, that is not what I'm trying to do. So I should have uh, had a better sense of awareness in that situation and solve the problem rather than trying to smash it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Muscle it out. The, the visualization, let's, let me ask one more question about that. Does that go, did you, is that something you learned in jujitsu? Does that go back as far as wrestling? Is it something you learned on your, on your own? Were you taught? Was it coached? Yeah. So all of us have many mentors that guide us, you know, Eastern training center, Boulder, the three jujitsu guys that affected me the most, you know, Amal Easton, of course, Elliot Marshall, Foster Bailey. Those are the three guys that had probably the greatest impact in my jujitsu, but on my mental side, my strength and conditioning, my uh, approach to competition uh, came from my strength and conditioning coach, Russell Malloy. And mm-hmm. uh, that's where a lot of the visualization stuff came from. And after, so I started with him in 2014, a couple months after Worlds. Uh, so in 2014, I'd gotten third at Purple Belt Worlds. I had no idea how big of a deal that was. I thought it was just, you know, this kind of thing. And so I, I, as I, uh, you know, kind of started to think that I actually stood a good chance at this. You know, I talked to Russ and we worked something out. You know, if you're in college and you're broke, people will help you if you sell them the right package. And, uh, you know, we started working there. And then, man, we basically kept working until the ADCCs in 2019. So five years, man. And uh, I completely changed over those five years. And, uh, you know, it was uh, – a lot of growth happened, but you know, not all of your mentors make you grow in a positive fashion. Some okay. of it is sort of a net, 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 like, and you know, that negative energy moving you forward. And it's sort of like you can either use the stick or the carrot. Mm-hmm. And you know, some of your mentors are all sticks, some are all carrot, probably the best of the mix of the two. Yeah. And you know, so then that's, you know, five years. I, I've got a lot out of it. I've absorbed an amazing amount of information. A lot of the myofascial release, a lot of the stretchings, a lot of the exercises I do all come from him. And that's, uh, you know, sometimes how the world works, right? You and you, uh, your mentors, you know, you link, you get as much as you can from each other, and then you go your separate ways. But uh, that would be uh, where I learned my visualization techniques was a lot from him. He had me read a book called Heart of a Champion. No, not Heart of a Champion. Mind of a Champion. That's the book. I think I have it over here, actually. Yeah, oh, there it is. Champion's Mind. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So he had me read that. And there's a bunch of different little exercises in there that can help you uh, just approach competition better. 
mm-hmm. in terms of like that letting your reducing the amount of anxiety you put upon yourself the day of competition. So it's just kind of a, a ideas of putting that. And that came mainly from Russ, you know, Coach Russ. And that was probably the best application I had of it was the ADCC trials. Where I was just chilling, man. You know, I just showed up. You know, things didn't get started for like four hours. I was hanging out. I had my food. I was chilling. You know, the match happened. I just kept flowing, man. You know, yeah, moving from one thing to the next and trying not to let. Mm-hmm. I've talked about that a lot here on the show where so much of that, that anxiety is, I don't want to say misplaced or we put it on ourselves. And these are things that are never really going to happen. Worrying about losing in front of our home crowd, ah, our family, our team, yeah. uh, doing something stupid, gassing out. You know, listen, what's going to happen is going to happen. We wind yeah. up putting it like we put those little seeds in our own mind. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we manifest them. Sometimes we don't. We come out the other side and say, oh, that wasn't so bad. Oh, it was a lot yeah. easier. And I know, you know, in, in the small amount of competing, the very small amount of competing that I've done, it's like the match is over before, you know, it, it's like, wow, did that just happen? Did somebody record that? You know, at least for me, that's that's how it's happened for me. It's like so quick. But again, we've definitely talked about it a lot. We do it to ourselves. We worry about things that are never really going to happen. Yeah. So you talked about your gym uh, or you talked about training kids before. Mm-hmm. Do, do you have your own gym? Or are you training? Yeah, this quarantine's <laughs> made everything oh. weird. Okay. Like I have, you know, like I imagine every other jujitsu guy on earth, like I probably should be telling people, oh, no, I'm not training. I'm solo drilling. I'm doing all that. I got I got work in two weeks. I got to mm-hmm. smash some people. Like yeah. that's just how it's going to go down. And I got to get ready for that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and as far as all this, uh, and, and I'll make sure we return to uh, like the academy and stuff. But just in my opinion on the whole quarantine stuff, like I don't have anybody in my life that I'm going to put at risk. There's no high, you know, I have no uh, immunocompromised. I don't interact with any older folks. And I mean, man, I've been of the opinion that if you're feeling healthy and you want to go interact with other people and you take the precautions, I work for a PPE company. So I make Mm -hmm. sure I take the precautions when I go into public and I isolate myself from other people. But, you know, I think that, uh, you know, we all need to make a choice. You know, how long are we going to stop living our lives? And, you know, what, uh, where's the line for you? You got to draw the line for yourself. Mm-hmm. All of all of us need to draw the line for ourselves. We can't let some nameless entity draw the line for us. So, uh, yeah, that's just my opinion on it. But so where where I've been training has been here on some mats, and uh, I've been going to a couple other places as well. Mm-hmm. But by and large, man, just this quarantine threw uh, everything into a craziness, man. And you know, I'm just grateful that I had the opportunity to train on some mats and you know interact with some good folks and you know keep keep growing as an individual, man. That and that's the main the main focus for me anyway, uh, at the end of the day. And that was what I was uh, going to talk about when we were on that competition thing is that so many of us stay focused on a uh, results mindset that we approach competition as I'm doing this so I can take that gold medal, stand at the top of the podium and show all these people how awesome. No, and the, mm-hmm. that, that exists in all of us, man. And that was what was in me for most of it. Like when I won that all American title, and I still talk about it a lot nowadays, obviously I'm very proud of it, but like, you want to try and steer yourself away from a results-based mindset as much as you can because you don't want your sense of self-worth to be based on just a result because the result you don't really have much control over. What you have control over is your effort that you put in and trying to observe your growth. So, And then that, that's sort of like – that's how I like to approach competition as a metric for seeing how much I've grown and running into situations that stimulate my, my growth. Like, like I think I've mentioned this a lot. One of the best months I've had in my life was uh, June of 2019, and that was after just getting smashed by Lucas Lepre. 
like okay. just smashed, man. And just my ego was just crushed. And then the month that I had after that was amazing. Getting up at 430, getting my exercises in, getting studying in. Like if I could have had, you know, two or three Junes in between, you know, ADCC trials and the ADCCs, who knows what would have happened. But uh, so that, I just wanted to touch on that real quick. And mm-hmm. like that approach to competition um, and how, you know, you want to have that growth-based mind. <laughs> growth based mindset, <laughs> not, not, not results. And so many of us are stuck on that results. And guess what, bro? 50% of people lose the first round. Mm-hmm. You're probably, you're probably going to lose the first round like most of us do. So don't let that be what you base your sense of worth on, man. You know, if you go out there and you drew the top seed first, you gave them hell. Great. Go get an acai bowl. Go start planning out your training for the next day. Like get back to it. Keep growing. Don't let one event slow you down, man. And I've had that happen many times. Like that depression I talked about in high school. I have been stopped and shut down many times in my life. And that's, you know, I constantly try to fight against that whole depression, anxiety mm-hmm. thing. And a lot of what my journey with jujitsu has been is sort of trying to manage that as I try to grow. Cool. Cool. How does this Jits King event, how is it different compared to like an AD, ADCC or an IBJJF tournament in prep, in that anxiety, are there any differences for you or is it all the same? Uh, so as I was saying, so I, I also try to visualize the trip to a smaller degree, like, uh, you know, the big, the big portions of the day and definitely the day, the, the events leading up to three days before is going to be completely different, man. Just cause you know, not going to be going into restaurants, not going to have that options. I'm gonna have to plan on being on my own, getting food, bringing it to the hotel, you know, managing my own time on my own. Um, uh, the, the Lyft and Uber are still working there, right? So that won't be a, that won't be. Yeah. I won't need to worry about changing that up at all. But uh, you know, there'll be considerations there. But as for the event itself, ADCC rules format. As far as I as I, I believe, I hope that's the case. That and that lends itself to my style powerfully. Mm-hmm. So I'm very much looking forward to that. And um, as as we were saying, it's going to be a very long, drawn out process. So I'm prepared to show up and patiently wait two to three hours for my first match. And then patiently wait another two to three hours for the next match to come and just make sure that I have my uh, energy level set to where I can stay low and then spike for the match and stay Mm -hmm. low and spike for the next match, stay low, spike for the next match and stay low and make sure that I'm uh, recovering as best as I can in between the matches and not overexerting myself in the times when I'm not actively competing. How about the prep for, for, you know, an IBJJF Mm. versus Mm -hmm. versus a, a Jits King or again, an ADCC? So and that comes down to how the rule sets determine the engagement. It's crazy. Not not that many sports. You change the rules a little bit, change the whole entire dynamics yeah. of the match. Uh, the three made ones are uh, IBJJF Nogi, the ADCC rules format, and EBI. So each of those three revolve around a completely different approach to the game. Uh, and I would say probably ADCC is my best, IBJJF Nogi, and then the EBI uh, for now. I've been improving my leg locks a ton. Been working on that a lot. My entries, defenses, the whole shebang, and that will make my EBI game more dangerous. But right now, uh, what I'm trying to do is I want to take you down. I want to pass your guard. I want to mount you. Then I want to take your back. Then I want to choke you. And if any of that system gets upset, it's probably going to be a guillotine or you got some offense going. So that that's sort of roughly mm-hmm. my very bi- basic bare bone approach to jujitsu, and uh, that functions best in the ADCC format because i'm not trying to pull guard and entangle your legs and look for the little opening of the set the trap i want to come forward i want to break 
your spirit down for three to four minutes. And then once you start to get winded, I'm going to take advantage of that. And then I'm going to get a little bit ahead and keep pressing until I get uh, you know, a good position. And then I'm going to look for some points once the points start. And then from there, I'm going to be going full bore for the submission. Okay. And that, that, and that is my rough outline for every ADCC match. And you know, in 2017, before those trials, I didn't really have a good game plan for it. And that kind of showed in that performance. But, you know, nowadays, man, like I, I have a very firm, basic, bare bones, what I'm going to try to do in the ADCC rules format. And that fe- uh, feeds very nicely. Now, if it's IBJJF, the whole advantage is, you know, uh, uh, you know, and then there's the uh, guard pulling throughout the entire match. Uh, of all the three rules formats, I'd probably be most encouraged to pull guard in the IBJJF rules format. Okay. Uh, as opposed to ADCC or EBI, where I'd probably want to stand and pass. But uh, in the IBJJF, I would feel more comfortable being on bottom, just because my, my whole plan revolves around getting up on points and hunting for a sub. And if it's IBJJF rules format, dude, it's, it's one of the best things you can do is sit your butt in the IBJJF. Yeah. Like, in my opinion, like, it's, it's, the, those types of rules, the lack of uh, leg locks from top and passing, like, I, I feel it lends itself a lot more towards a sweeper's game in that, in that, that situation, at least how I would approach, approach the game there. So okay. that's what I would say would really change based on those three rule formats. Uh, and the one that I prefer the most is the ADCC by far. I okay. want to wrestle and I want to use my front headlock and I want to pass the guard. That's, those okay. are the three things I love to do. All right. Now, is there anybody on this card that you're excited to fight? Anybody that uh, like you feel like you match up well against? All of them. Every yeah. single one of them. <laughs> well, 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 not necessarily match up well against, but I want to fight everybody, man. That, 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 you know, I would love to have a match with every single jujitsu guy out there on the face of this planet. That, that would be, uh, uh, it's an impossible goal, but one I'd love to have accomplished. But every one of these guys is deadly. But the guys that, you know, consume probably most of my focus are uh, Taza. We had a match back okay. at the BJJ Fanatics Open, and he's his performance against me is one of the main reasons I've spent so much time focusing on my legs because I uh, did decent against him, but he got ahead. You know, have you you know Eric Paulson guard? Have you heard of this? No. So it's like if these are my legs here. Normally, saddle is going to involve like an entanglement here, mm-hmm. and then you lock around one leg. Eric Paulson is locking around both legs. Okay. So you lock on the outside of the legs. So he locked on the outside of my legs and I looked at that and I didn't know what to do. And so I just tried to hide my heel. So I like chose uh, early, early defense A, which is hide my heel and try to push in. But he already had my knee line. So he had my knee isolated. He had my foot isolated. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't identify how bad of a problem uh, uh, area I was in. So instead of trying early defense A, I needed to roll away from my heel, use my hands to clear my hip, and then from there look to free my knee. So I have a decent idea of what I need to do now. But the problem in there was, you know, like I said, that whole thing about a quarter second, quarter second. My quarter second was look and then half a second of ah and then the wrong choice and so my inability to look have the video game button ready to press and my defense engage instantly was the difference between me tapping and me moving on to the uh, overtime period which in ebi revolves a lot around the overtime and i i feel i have a pretty good uh back attack and a pretty in a, i've been working on spider web a lot that's starting from the armbar position so okay. i feel that uh had i played a little bit more strategically and in the future ebi may well be one of the things that i like most but you know, I don't, I don't want to turn that because that basically comes to a competition of can you grapple, <coughs> stall, you know, for 10 minutes and then who's the best on back? I, I, I'll, I'll do that game against anybody, man. Yeah. You know, I know there are several, two dozens of people out there that would crush me. But, 
you know, I, I feel very confident in my back attack, very confident in my spider web. So, you know, I feel that once it's in the overtime, I, I do well. But in that time in between, just with how uh, easy people can attack the legs and keep going, like I passed Taz's guard, but he mm -hmm. just chilled and kept going. Like it wouldn't have made, a, you know, ADCCs, it wouldn't have mattered because it was still in the first five minutes. IBJJF, that would have changed everything. Yeah. Like I would have completely changed my engagement and, and he would have had to completely change his. But since it was EBI, didn't mean a thing. You know, I might as well have just done a big dab like, you know, when I got past his guard. Like, it didn't do anything for me. You know, I wasn't able to threaten any submissions off of it. And uh, I had a big mental lapse uh, when I was facing him where uh, he was offensive the entire time, just looking for leg locks, looking for heel locks, and I was running away the whole time. I was defending smartly. I was playing good jujitsu. But then a little part of my head was like, dude, this is bull crap. Where's my offense? This is shenanigans. I've been on the defense this whole time. That was the wrong thing to think because I was playing his – I had to play his game. CBI. You know, if he's going to sit to his butt, I have to fight the leg locks. And, uh, you know, just kind of led to uh, Meek falling behind and not really uh, having the tools that I needed to go against him. So it's, it was it's looking forward to facing him. And then in addition to Taza, uh, Pedro Marino. I actually had a chance to train with him when we were in Houston. He's a savage. I'm looking mm -hmm. forward to facing him. Um Roberto Jimenez, I believe, yeah, 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 yeah. No, wait, wait. It's Spanish, so you say you say the J, right? Yeah, yeah. Roberto Jimenez, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think in, I think Jimenez, the J is an H. J's Jimenez, H, yeah. it's Jimenez. Fine. either way. Yeah. Now, in, in Portuguese, is that different? Or am I getting that confused? Uh, Portuguese, it's the, the letters are yeah, the pronunciations are different, but I, I still think you probably, I think they would probably say Jimenez. I'm not sure. Jimenez, okay, yeah, yeah. Because the one that I always find funny is when a cyborg says. Uh, Raphael, you know, and that's supposed Raphael. to be Raphael. Raphael is like, yeah, ah, that's the the R's. The R's are yeah, H's, except if yeah. they're in the middle of the word or if it's a city. We've I've been trying to get that down from my coaches. Oh, you know, yeah, it's like it's Rio, yeah. Rio de Janeiro, but it's yeah. you know Henzo Gracie, right? You know, so yeah. it's like, uh, yeah, we're getting the ins and outs of that still. Yeah, yeah, that's that's actually. How do you feel about combat jujitsu? We talked a little bit about EBI. How mm -hmm. do you feel about that whole thing? I'm 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 still not I don't know I don't I don't know if I'm sold on it. I'm not a big fan of it. You know I see it as you know having one foot in the ocean, one foot on the on the sand. You know if you're gonna allow strikes, you might as well just allow the full the full package. Um, and but and just, then is it? Yeah. But then it's MMA. But then it's yeah, exactly. You know, and yeah. I I mean I don't want to you know talk too much trash, but. You know, EBI was invented for Eddie Bravo to attempt to display how his system of 10th planet jujitsu would dominate any no-gi exchange with strikes being allowed. So his goal was always to make the best jujitsu system for MMA. That was That's always been his goal. Yeah. And every time he's tried to do that, well, not every time. You know, he had Geo one, but usually it's not his guys that do too well. Like I think one of the most recent ones, Dan Martinez, a uh, guy in your area, he ended up winning the combat jujitsu. And he said he only threw a slap once. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, if you're allowing these slaps, but it's not fundamentally changing the game, what's going on there? And, you know, I think that uh, the, the, this adaption of the rules, I mean, I can, I can kind of see like if I'm trying to stall from bottom of half guard or whatnot, or if I'm just chilling on the bottom of mount, but I just see those slaps as leading into different uh, areas for off balancing. Like if mm -hmm. I'm playing guard on bottom and I have my defensive set or maybe like one hand up and I see you raise a hand up, I'm going to off balance you that direction. Yeah. I, I shouldn't talk about it too much because I don't want to do it. I think I just heard yeah. your email. There's an invite that just hit your uh, your email account. <laughs> After I watched Wagner go against Nathan Orchard, 
like I watched that and that settled it. The spanking. Not, I mean, dude is freaking like palms of death into his yeah. hand his head for like a minute, yeah. like a minute, man. Like I, I, I mean, you know, obviously no, no athlete ever wants to tap to strikes, but like, dude, how much should you need to absorb before that ends? And yeah. so I, I saw that and it's just like, man, you know, with that, that jujitsu, you could get caught in a bad spot and get slapped out and that, that would really be rough. And I'd much rather just get choked and slapped out. So, gotcha. yeah. So let's go back to the just King event. Have they yes. gone over? We talked about what, what's different between events, but have they gone over what's going to be different for you when you show up the day of the testing? Are you, are they doing like a, you know, a COVID test? Are they just doing temperature reads? Do you, do you have a sense of what's going to happen? I have to imagine they're going to do temperatures. Okay. Um, they're also probably going to have an EMT there looking for people like, oh, God, is that a cop? Is that, yeah. You got to remember, like, <laughs> what, what's really funky, especially right now, because we're in allergy season, sneezing is not a symptom. It's associated mm-hmm. with a very small number of cases. So if you're around somebody that's sneezing, it's not a guarantee whether they have COVID or not. But, man, if they have COVID and somebody sneezes around you, like we're talking millions of viral particles everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. So like, you know, like I'm not too worried about that. Like a cough, cough's pretty bad too, but like the sneeze, like, and it's funny cause it's not a symptom of COVID, but if somebody has COVID and they sneeze and I think half the people that get it don't have symptoms. Yeah. And so like I was saying, like, and, and, and of all this, this is just the stuff we know. How much do we not know that's changing every second? And it's just like, man, at some point you got to, you got to decide where you are on the spectrum and make your choice on how you want to live your life. Mm-hmm. But uh, I expect they'll be doing temperatures. They'll have an EMT checking uh, for people's symptoms, which are shortness of breath, uh, dry cough, and a fever. And those are the three, three things that you're looking for. And there are other symptoms, but I don't think those are anywhere near as uh, vital there. But I mean, dude, like I think back in the past year, I've had a cough like four out of the five months. I mean, like four or five out of the past 12 months, man. Like I've always, you know, I'm always kind of walking around with something. I think most of us kind of are. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, you know, they'll be checking for a cough. They'll be checking for fever. And that's pretty much probably the only thing that's going to get you out of it. Because I think 83% of cases have a fever. So if you yeah. have a fever, bye-bye. <laughs> but I, I, I can't imagine there's going to be the uh, fi- finance financial backing to get us all tested. I would li- I would love to, and I think the government should provide a test for everybody. And that's actually a significant problem that we have right now that we're testing extreme and moderate cases, but we have no infrastructure established to test asymptomatic people, which means you have these asymptomatic carriers rampaging through our nation, spreading this stuff everywhere. And until we set up the infrastructure to test the asymptomatic people, it's 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 going to keep going through the country, man. So yeah. you know, it's it's a shame to say that with like that whole idea that. If you don't have symptoms, you don't need a test. That's wrong. We only had that because we had such little, uh, uh, you know, uh, material for testing. But like, if you really want to solve this problem, you need to test everybody, the asymptomatic people too. And that's the only way you're going to track these guys down. Uh, says the, you know, Matt Rat over here. As yeah. I, you know, try, you know, play politics or whatever. They but. set up, but we're, you know, I'm down in South Florida. They te- they set up a testing center, but it's te- it's a testing center. But in order for you to get the antibodies test, you have to give blood. Like it's a blood uh, to donate. It's a blood, uh, blood drive. And then they will also test you. So wow. I don't know what that means for someone like me who's taking so many heart meds. So mm-hmm. I usually just stay away from giving blood period, <laughs> but uh, that's the only thing that they have down here. It's a drive through center. And then they have one other one that'll do straight COVID tests at another park. You can actually yeah. walk up. One's a drive through one's a, one's a walk up. So, um, yeah, you said you've been all over Florida, right? Have you, you've been down this way? 
Oh yeah, dude. I, I had a blast in Florida, man. That was what, you know, this whole, like all of January and February, I was just running around the Southeast, man. I had a really good time. You just went home. You're in Boulder, Colorado now, right? Been here two months, man. Okay. Like, uh, yeah, it, it's been good. It's and you good. you had just <laughs> left North Florida, right? You, you were training is, is that was, was just, uh, were you just out here for a little while or? So I spent uh, the timeline, which we can, we can break that down real quick. So I left Boulder on January 8th. I got to Panama City Beach on January 15th, I believe. So I, it took me about a week to get there. So I went pretty slowly. Like I went Boulder, Amarillo, Amarillo, OKC, OKC, Dallas, Dallas to Baton Rouge, and then Baton Rouge to Panama City Beach. So it Did took you train battle. all along the way? Were you training all along the way? Stopping at gyms? I or? trained at Lovato's okay. on a Saturday. And that was one of the more impressive practices that I've been to. Um, and that really inspired a lot of like how I said, I basically have a 35 to 40 minute warm up before I even start teaching. Mm -hmm. And when he does his Saturday competition training, he might have changed everything. It might be completely different. But when I attended it, he had everyone would meet up around 845. You'd be doing foam rolling. You'd be you know, doing what you got to do to get warmed up. And then, dude, it would take an hour and a half to warm to warm up. Like it would be a bunch wow. of drilling, a bunch of calisthenics, a bunch of running around, like doing an hour and a half long warm up, and then we started to do rounds. And this was one of my first practices that I was like finally getting back into shape with. And I did 20 minutes with Lovato, and then the very end, what he does to finish up is like five minutes takedown entries or sprawls. So you have to do a takedown entry and then a sprawl takedown, and like for five minutes, like one of the most insane practices I've ever been to. Um, but as I said, that, that one has really stuck with me as I've gone forward. And I'd like to you know, pull more of that style of training into my academy. But also one thing that he did, I was talking about, is that he takes Fridays off. Okay. So he doesn't do a practice like that on a Thursday or a Wednesday, something like that. He, he takes a day off and then he does that full three-hour session. And I, I, at some point, I wouldn't mind adapting that. But on the other uh, other hand, like if you're not properly nutritioned and you're not getting your water through that, yada, yada, there's a bunch of stuff to go. It's a three-hour practice. So so I was super impressed with that and then trained in Houston at Gracie Barra there with actually Pedro Marino. We uh, we had some some good matches and uh, had a lot of fun down there. That's actually uh, – oh, El Patron. Uh, do you know the Patron? Uh, that's his name. Oh, my God. Michael – Mike Perez. That's the name. Do you know Mike Perez? No. no. Oh, well, he's, he's – uh, Otto Sky, him, him and Mo Jassim. I'm sure you know Mo Jassim okay. are buddies. And uh, I met one of his friends that I was there. And I'd actually had a wrestling match with one of their black belts like five years previously. So that was kind of a funny little quirk, small world, especially the grappling world. And uh, took off from Houston, went to Baton Rouge. Uh, actually, I was there the night that they won their uh, national title. And uh, I was actually sitting next to a, a nice couple and they got me, uh, you know, a couple, uh, you know, shots of tequila and, you know, I got to enjoy the game with them. And, you know, it was, it was actually had a really good time in Baton Rouge and then uh, Panama City Beach. And so basically from January 15th until March 14th, so just about two months there, eight weeks, I was just traveling the southeast. And of those eight weeks, I think four or five of them were in Florida. So I went from Panama City Beach to the Tampa area and then Sarasota for a couple of days then Miami, and then Jupiter, and then Jupiter for three or four days, then up to uh, Atlanta. Then I did a trial, went to Dallas, competed there, went back to Atlanta, Atlanta to Chattanooga, Chattanooga to Charlotte, Charlotte to D.C., and then D.C., Charlotte, Atlanta, Tampa. 
I'm feeling very lazy right now, Bo. <laughs> <laughs> feeling super lazy right now. <laughs> oh, dude, it was, it was, I have, I should, dude, I should be, I should be so much better on my taxes and all that, but and I've got time to get it together, but somewhere around 10, 12,000 miles easy of driving really? over nine weeks. Yep. 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 It was quite the adventure. Wow, and geez. yeah, it led to a lot of growth, man. You know, I, I, I was traveling to seek adversity and I found it. It was great. Yeah. You know, I went, I, you know, speaking of Lucas Lepre, I went to go train with him in Charlotte. You know, I sought out great leg lockers. I sought out people who skilled at jujitsu and, you know, learned from as many people as I could on the trip. And, you know, I think it paid off a lot. And the best part of all this quarantine for me was, is that I went on this grand, you know, two month long adventure. And then I just got to come back here and ruminate on it. And, you know, I spent a month chilling, not doing a gosh darn thing, got a day job uh, fabricating PPE. And then yeah, who's that with? You want to tell us a little bit more about that? Because uh, I saw again, so, you know, stalking your Instagram before the interview. So yeah, <laughs> for the last week. So uh, is that a, is that a buddy of yours? Is it like an apparel company? And now he switched switched over to yes. creating PPE. Yes. So this company is Rocky Mountain National Events. Okay. Or it might be Rocky Mountain Events. I think it's just RMN. Uh, but regardless of the name, they do wrestling tournaments all over the United States and they had a very small side business where they made custom gear called extreme pro Okay. main company is Rocky mountain events. And then they have extreme pro, which is part of it. They would work closely with Seth Daniels when he would run his fight to win and fight to win pro. So these guys basically run wrestling tournaments. That's their main business. Uh, that got shut down. So they switched Mm -hmm. over to doing a little bit more custom gear. Those orders dried up. Then they decided, like a lot of other companies that make uh, clothings and whatever, that they would switch over to making PPE. And Seth, I was training with Seth one day and saw on his uh, Facebook after I was hanging out with him that he's like, yeah, if anybody wants a day job, you got this uh, uh, thing available for you. And, you know, I've been kind of thinking like, man, you know, I, I, you know, this check could be coming for me on the unemployment insurance because uh, I had applied for it. But I was just, you know, kind of on the fence and, you know, just decided, dude, I'm literally sitting here ruminating in my juices for, you know, 16 hours a day or whatever it is. And I was just like, man, let me get out. And so went out, started working and that, um, so that, that kind of got me stuck in a productive state of mind. And it took like six, seven weeks for that to start bleeding into the rest of my life. But eventually, as you know, so I got a good garden going here. I cleaned up my room. You know, I've got my life together here, trying to get my diet back in order. And it, it's been a, uh, a slow process, but, you know, exponential one as well. You know, the past week and a half has been really good. Uh, the seven weeks leading up to it were like, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. But yeah, they, uh, the company, so they make the PPE. I worked with them. Um, I helped them make about 100,000 pieces, and now they're continuing to make – oh, yeah, they're making a lot of uh, personal protective gear. What they offer, their main thing is – so it is custom gear. So if you have a different company – like uh, I was meaning to talk to Jits Kings uh, for quite a few days because uh, they can make gaiters for you, which is in my laundry hamper, which is a, uh, a scarf that will mm. come up to here. Yeah. And that will – oh, yeah, it's in the laundry. I'll get it later. Uh, they also make face masks, which aren't quite as cool, but you can get your logo printed on there. You can get mm-hmm. a big gym thing, and um, they do orders of that custom. So it's custom apparel made in America. The turn turnaround table on it is about a week. And, uh, you know, it's just an American company here in Colorado. So if you want to support that, you can go to XP. Uh, we just want to search XP gear, and then that will okay. take you to the website. And, uh, yeah, you can go there and you can start uh, checking out some of their basic gators and face masks or order a custom, you know, give them a call and order a custom order. Very cool. Good, good. 
Uh, so we're going to get into some listener questions now. We have a, a big part of the show. I, we spoke about this before uh, or yesterday, uh, you and I. We've, we love giving stuff away. So one of the things that we did was we let listeners send in questions. We answer them on the show. Uh, we get two bottles of CBD from Fight Back CBD every show. And uh, we'll also send out uh, a $25 gift card to our shop, our jujitsudummies.shop, our podcast store. But before we do that, I just want to give a, a real quick shout out to Weedify. Uh, thank them for all their support and all they do for veterans in the jujitsu community. Uh, for those of you who don't know, they provide therapeutic relief to disabled combat veterans ju through jujitsu. You can check them out at We Defy Foundation on Instagram, and you can donate anytime at WeDefyFoundation.org. Um, I think, did you say that you've you've done something with them in the past or you knew of them? Uh... Yeah, yeah. I forget the gentleman's name. Pardon me. I believe his name was Kevin. Okay. I might be very wrong about that, but I think his name was Kevin. Uh, he came and ran a seminar that myself, Alex Huddleston, and I want to say Ethan Snow, I think the three of okay. us participated in an event that they put on. And, uh, you know, it's just seminars and it was donation based and they mm -hmm. took money to help, you know, as, 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 as for a great cause, but did a guillotine seminar. I think that was in 2018. Not, not, mm -hmm. not, not entirely sure about the timeline on that, but, uh, definitely helped them out. You know, great, great, uh, great thing. You know, I, I personally know the powers of jujitsu's ability to heal one's yeah. soul and body and mind. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I have an organization that's providing this incredible, uh, entity that can do so much good for one's life to people that need it more than just about anybody else. Yeah. You know, they, they, you know, you know, people that have sacrificed their own freedom so that all of us may enjoy ours and, you know, have very, very difficult personal positions. So having that, have, have that option to do jujitsu, you know, it's something that you know, is great. We're actually going to be doing a, um, they're, they're going to announce it this weekend. We're going to be doing a zoom meeting mm -hmm. with some of the founders of we defy. So we're going to have our podcast patrons. Those pod people are my patrons from, from jujitsu dummies. Uh, they're going to be invited. And then anybody who donates $5 to we defy is going to get an invite to be on this zoom with the founders of the company. And we're going to just do like, a. it's not going to be recorded or, or aired anywhere, but we're just going to do this private, like one-on-one -on -one session with the, the owners and, or excuse me, the founders and, uh, and be able to ask mm -hmm. some questions and we're going to, we're going to see how it goes and we might launch it on a larger scale with them. You know, they're, uh, uh, they were uh, nice enough to invite us to uh, meet myself and Junior, one of my co-hosts, to, to host mm. the event. So we're going to be doing that next Saturday, actually. So uh, really cool. Uh, let's get mm. let's get into our listener questions. So uh, ML oh, MLJ Rico on Instagram, he asked, "Do you study your opponents like fighters? Like you know, if you had a coach, does your coach do the same in preparation for guidance? Like are you, basically, are you studying film?" Not as much as I should, man. I, I do way more instructional study than I do live film study. Mm. I would like to incorporate more uh, film study, but I find it difficult, especially when I'm engaging with 16 people, you know, trying to anticipate what exactly they're going to do. Um, I was fortunate with my past last two opponents, Cody Steele and Pedro Rocha. We're both wrestlers, so I had a pretty good idea of how that was going to go down. Uh, if I have a specific super fight opponent, I'll watch a match or two of theirs, but I, uh, definitely am not as refined on, I don't know if that's tactics or strategy. You know, I, th mm -hmm. I think that's a, that's a strategic thing, like studying what your enemy's going to do, like art of war. And, um, I would like to spend more time on that, but with the amount of time that I have available that I you know put time into, it's much more studying instructionals right now. Uh, as I get closer to the ADCCs, uh, there will probably be this group of 15 to 20 people that I am very closely studying. 
of okay. which, yeah, 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 15, right. 20 people that I'll be closely studying. But really, what it comes down to, man, is if I can master the leg locks, improve my wrestling, get my front headlock nice and sharp, and make sure my uh, defenses to most like submissions you can run into when you're passing are sharp, I'd feel pretty confident against anybody. You know, I mean, you look at the top five guys, wrestling's going to be the answer to most of those puzzles. So, yeah. you know, the five guys being JT, Gary Tonin, Wagner Rocha, Dante Leon, Hanato Canuto. Okay. Yeah. All right. Next question here. Ray of Flight, 3567 from Instagram. He says, and, and uh, we'll, we'll note that we're not doctors. So uh, studies have shown that working outside does not spread, or yeah, working outside does not spread COVID-19. I'm not sure how true that is. Mm-hmm. So gym owners in China have kept their classes outside and not, and have not infected anyone, even if they had COVID-19. Again, questionable. Uh, mm-hmm. But is there any talk about doing BJJ outside that people can still con- so that people can still continue to learn? I'm butchering that question. Sorry about that. He's basically yeah. asking: Are are there are people here in the U.S. taking their jujitsu programs outside as a way to combat COVID or at least stop the spread? Have you seen that at all? Well, so the problem with uh, jujitsu and COVID is just the directness of personal contact. But I believe that if you are having a face-to-face conversation with somebody and they have COVID, uh, it's not like the second you talk to them, you're going to get it. Mm -hmm. I think it takes about five minutes. My uh, mom actually sent me a really interesting article talking about how you need about a thousand viral particles to become uh, infected. So if you just breathe in one viral particle of COVID, your body's, your immune system is going to take care of that. You need a certain threshold of viral particle to then become infected. And to get that viral threshold, like if you're sitting at a restaurant with somebody that has COVID is in there, just because you're next to them isn't a guarantee. Where the air is flowing is the important part. And so Mm -hmm. where they're breathing, if that gets into an air conditioning stream, and you could be 30 feet away from the person, but their viral particles could be blowing into you and you could be breathing them. So especially with jujitsu, if you're outside and you're six feet or greater, and I think actually I've heard it's more like 13 feet because it's aerosolized, so it actually gets in the air and it stays there. It's not droplet because there are three ways that diseases can transfer either bodily fluids like HIV, droplets, which is the flu, or aerosolized, which I think uh, measles is another great example of that. Like that, that that's incredibly contagious because it'll get in the air and stay there for 20 minutes. Okay. So yeah, yeah. So somebody could come in there, breathe in the room. You could walk in there with nobody in the room and still breathe in a thousand viral particles and become infected. So the problem with jujitsu is that if you are going to grab anybody for more than five or 10 minutes, you, that's the time you, if, if they have COVID, you're going to get it. So if you were going to do that thing in the park and you wanted to really be safe, you'd need to maintain social distance and have people do solo drills or drills with a dummy. And why, why even go to the park then? Like yeah. prop your laptop up, do it outside on your balcony or something, something like that. Like why, why even meet up in those large groups? And that's where I, brings me to the, uh, my answer to him is that it's going to be small groups. It's going to be four, five, six, maybe eight people working together consistently. And that's what jujitsu is going to probably look like until all this goes over. Because, I mean, the stuff I read today kind of spooked me, man. It looks like them, you know, the, the pockets are coming back up. You know, we shouldn't be negative about that right now. But I perceive that going forward, uh, there will be mainly small groups of people working together consistently over time uh, in order to try to quarantine themselves uh, in sort of like a quasi way. But like if you get even 10 people and they're closer than six feet and somebody has COVID and they're in that 
proximity to each other for 30 minutes to an hour, somebody yeah. could breathe in that thousand viral particles, man. But that's kind of that magic number. If you breathe in, that's what I said, like when somebody sneezes and that's millions of viral particles just flooding the room. So, yeah, I, I, and, okay. you know, I try not to worry too much about it. I think know? when people think about training outside or the, mm -hmm. the, the benefit of being outside has been the light, the heat and light. I we'll think that that's virus. where the yes. confusion comes in. It's like, yes, again, if somebody sneezes in your face, inside or outside, it's not going to matter. But yeah. if you're outside, little distance, sunlight, you know, but I really don't think we really know. Yeah. So much when of this I, is still. Like, if I'm just doing snatches and cleans and there's somebody six feet away from me doing the same, no problem. But if you've got two people doing jujitsu with each other, yeah. problem. And yeah. that you just can't, you can't. You need the live body. What you can yeah. do without one, you can make a dummy. You can do solo drills. You can do a lot. But if you're going to actually do jujitsu, you got to touch the person and be in their bubble. Yeah. And that, you know, I th the only way to do it is in small groups of people consistently training going forward. I, I don't see many other ways that it, it's going to happen going forward. And we will get the other side. Like it could take year, two years. Things will get close to normal. It might take a long time, but we'll we'll get through all this. So I'd highly encourage people, you know, keep training. And if anything, not to be a world champ, but just to keep your, your head on right, dude. Like my, I'm in a much happier place now than I was seven weeks ago. You know, when I was just sitting around moping in my juices for 16 hours a day, kind of fun. Like, you know, YouTubing it up for 16 hours, you know, like that was a little interesting, but you know, I'm in a much better state of mind now because I, you know, I'm keeping myself moving forward and trying to accomplish things day to day. And I think a lot of us are stuck at that zero momentum and, uh, but I think we all got started on this, like how working out outside, I have heard UV radiation, all that fresh air should kill it. I don't buy it. If you're touching somebody, I don't care where you are. If you're in their bubble for five minutes, you're probably going to get it. Gotcha. Whether you're outside. I agree. I agree. Yeah. All right. Next question. This is from Frank House. He is one of our new podcast patrons. He says, I'm a white belt for 10 months. Mm. I feel like I'm progressing okay and do decently against similarly experienced partners. Mm -hmm. It seems, though, that I have trouble with brand new people. We've got mm -hmm. a couple of real spazzy younger guys. Welcome to the party, pal. <laughs> uh, I'm 39. He says he's 39, and they don't know much. It mm -hmm. seems like because they are so active and unpredictable, I have problems submitting them. Our roles tend to end up with me locking them down while they wear themselves out for five minutes, trying to choke me while I have them in close guard. Mm. That's LOL, he says. Mm. So they don't really threaten me, but I have trouble getting... Any, I have trouble getting anything done. What what advice would we give? Would we give to Frank? Hmm. Well, advice I would give to you, Frank, is that I mean, your goal, especially as a white belt uh, approach to jujitsu, like I think the concepts of controlling somebody and getting them to do what you want them to do come later in the game. Uh, so right now, you shouldn't expect yourself to be able to roll with a fresh white belt and and guide them forward. That's the job of the purple and the brown and the black belts. They should be the ones that kind of up. And you barely, you basically never see that at the academy. I could count on my hands the number of time I picked a one or two stripe white belt that I'd never met before, had an interaction. It was like, hey, come here, let me show you how to train. So it usually is these higher level white belts that have to train with the new guys. It shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't at all. But that's what happens. That you 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 are entering a situation that requires a skill set that you have not yet developed. So you shouldn't feel too bad about not being able to uh, control a spazzy person. That's one of the highest level skills. Like uh, most black belts get hurt going with spazzy people. So mm -hmm. you're facing a, a, a very common and a very difficult problem. My uh, suggestion to you would be let them spaz out, ride out, 
try to encourage them to relax a little bit, but it's, you know, somebody's first six months of jujitsu, they're going to be coming hard. That's what all of us do. We have that default, like, this is a fight. I'm going to smash. And mm-hmm. that's not always the best way to handle it. I would encourage him to rather try to become unpinnable amongst his peers. So focus more on his escapes, more on your solo drills, more on those uh, mechanics so that once you start to develop some offensive skills, you have the defensive skills to fall back on. So basically that's what it all comes down to is don't feel bad that you don't have this ability to control these spazzy people. That's something even the highest level black belt struggle to do. So I yeah. wouldn't feel bad about that at all. And I would instead change your goals to rather than try to control these new people or try to really show them the best way of going forward, which, I mean, that's what you should do as a high level is obviously be an example for people and they try to follow you and you keep the whole, everybody's growing at once, but you know, focus more on how you interact with the people at your side and above you and less with the people below. Mm -hmm. Now you're going to have to try and bring them up. And as I said, try to get them to calm down a little bit, maybe show them some solo drilling. You know, it's a difficult problem and one that I haven't engaged with that much because most of the training I've done, as we've discussed, has been traveling around and interacting primarily with purple belts and above. You know, I haven't had that much uh, interaction with fresh white belts and uh, that's a uh, conundrum that is a problem we all deal with. You know, I think most of the time I got closest to being injured was going with a white belt in Atlanta. And I got very close to getting injured in an inside heel hook, but luckily I was able to, you know, get around it. But that's where most injuries happen, and uh, it's a very difficult problem that you face. So, what was this gentleman's name again? This is Frank. Frank House. Frank. Yes, yeah, so I, I would say try to become unpinnable amongst your peers and uh, guide the people coming up as best you can. But just understand you don't have the skills to control them yet, so I wouldn't mm-hmm. feel too bad about that. And just all right, the big thing I'd say is make sure that you're having a good time and they're having a good time and that both you guys are growing. Uh, you know, it's slow growth in the beginning, but make sure you guys are both enjoying jujitsu. So that, that'd be like try to get them to enjoy jujitsu rather than to get them do jujitsu well. Like that should be the jobs of other people should be focusing on making them do well. No offense, 10, 10, 10 month old white belt. Your job should be setting a good example, being unpinnable amongst your peers and uh, trying to uh, guide them through an, uh, as an example. That, that would be my suggestion, Frank. I hope. And I, I would add to that, you know, jujitsu itself is this huge puzzle. Yeah. This is one of those puzzle pieces that you're going to have to deal with. And congrats, you get to figure this out. So, <laughs> you know, look, I look at something like that as a challenge. I'm glad he is asking the question. This is part of that. Seek out the knowledge and try to figure this out. You know, that you're going to you're going to encounter way bigger problems in jujitsu <laughs> than, uh, than the spazzy white belt. But I do agree with you, right? Most of the time the injuries come from somebody that's just flipping out big guy throwing his weight on top of you. Uh, you know, that happens, but, uh, yeah, just, uh, in, in, embrace this Frank and, and utilize this as a, a way to learn. I am, I started older. Uh, I've always loved to train whether it's work, whether it's jujitsu, I always love to teach people stuff. So I started at a gym where I was one of the very first students period, so oh, I was wow. always the higher white belt, you know, mm-hmm. as I went, I was always a, a ranking uh, a practitioner. So uh, I was always teaching these spazzy white guys what I knew as much as I could. So mm-hmm. again, I, I've always embraced that. So if you're somebody who likes to teach, you know, it's okay. To, hey, listen, you mind if I show you something? And, mm-hmm. you know, you, you guide these guys a little bit. Like you said, a lot of training comes from a, of a new person comes from the white belts. Yeah. Most gyms don't have a like, okay, all 20 newbies over here and all of my blue and above over. It, it just doesn't happen like that in oh, most places. The complete opposite. It's the like, complete opposite. It's like they grab them by the, the gi belt and throw them right into the, you know, into the line sometimes. Well, but, you know, 
It's like instead of them matching up how they're supposed to, they just fold up over here. It's like all the advanced guys go with all the advanced guys and all the mm -hmm. beginners have to go with the beginners. It should be – at least there should be a round or two where mm -hmm. like advanced students have to take the beginners. But yeah. and, and I mean that that's just the natural order of things. Like if I'm going there to train, I want to – uh, obtain as much benefit out of a practice as possible. And this is an interesting uh, thing I remember reading about how like if an advanced student works with an advanced student, the benefit that the advanced student gets is X. If the advanced student works with an inferior student, the advantage they get is like X.9. So pretty mm -hmm. much the same. But if you take an inferior student and you match them with an inferior student, it's terrible. It's terrible. Mm -hmm. they, neither of them can really figure much out. But if you take that inferior student and you match them with a advanced student, the inferior student gains tremendously, mm -hmm. tremendously by working with that advanced student. So you're, I get, I get it from a selfish standpoint, but in order to maximize everybody's growth, you should be trying to at least one or two rounds of practice, try to get your advanced students to work with your less experienced students. I say that, but I'd never lived it as I was in my academy days. And the last thing I would say about that is Frank, when you're, you know, work on work on your skills you're 10 months in okay you're almost a year in i'm sure there's some things that you could be working on utilize that time to uh to to work on things that you're weak in and again on the other side it's and i've said this a million times on the show at any level it's okay to grab your training partner and say hey why don't we work on this let's start here if you've got a guy that's in day one and he's rolling let's say week one week two and coach says okay let's roll it's okay for you as the higher belt to say, hey, start in my guard. Well, let me yeah. start in your guard and and tell, let's work on passing. We're both going to work on yeah. passing. You pass, I pass. Your coach is never going to say, what are you doing? He's yeah. going to actually appreciate that. He's okay, my two white belts aren't about to kill each other. I can go over here and concentrate on these guys. So, mm. again, that, that's a piece of advice that I would give. So. That is right. excellent advice, right. Milton. So uh, last question. Uh, you might know this guy. This is at Eduardo Cologne 3 on Instagram or at Eduardo.Cologne3. Do you know him? Uh, let me look up his profile. You, 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 might, you might know this guy. Uh, I, I understand that he's actually an undefeated IBJJF champion, but that's completely unconfirmed. Uh, he wants to know who... Uh, <laughs> he, Uncle Coach Kevin. <laughs> he wants to know... Who's your favorite event announcer? Ooh. Do you know who it is now? my favorite event announcer? Do you know who this is now? No. Dude, I got, uh, <laughs> He's one of the guys from Jits Kings. <laughs> oh, he is? Okay. <laughs> so I bet it's going to be Pat then. Huh? No, no, it's Eddie. It's, it's Eddie. It's Eduardo. Oh, it's Eddie. <laughs> it's Eddie. <laughs> oh, shoot, we had him on the last episode. Apparently, he claims to be a, an undefeated champ, but uh, he wanted to know who your, your favorite event announcer is. <laughs> well, <laughs> I should say Eddie, right? That would be the Jits King. Bruce like, Buffer, <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I will say I do kind of, you know, Seth kind of rubs me the wrong way from time to time when you're actually talking with him. But and he, he, he does some impressive things, and mm -hmm. I appreciate how he runs the ship and does that announcing. Yeah. Like, uh, I don't think there are many human beings that could keep that ship together that he does, and I certainly appreciate that he does it. And I think most all of the pro jiu-jitsu organizations that exist today, except for maybe Kasai and a few others, you know, as, as we've openly discussed, we, they owe our roots to that fight to win pro that Seth put on, man. So, mm. uh, maybe not my favorite human being of all time, <laughs> but you know, definitely a rad dude done a lot for the sport and, uh, 
you know, I think that he he does some great stuff. But yes, Eddie, you are in there at number two, my friend. <laughs> okay, there you go. He's gonna yes. like that. Yes. And uh, still, uh, his uh, his record is unconfirmed. Yes. So. All right, so we do a little speed round, and I probably have to change this name from speed round questions. These are questions that we've come up with over time as a team here on the show. We ask almost everyone these same questions. Again, we can go through them fast, but uh, but we can elaborate as well. Sometimes we do. Um, so if you could go back in time, what would you tell the white belt you? That moment before you stepped in the gym or on the mat the very first time, what would you tell yourself? Uh, glute dominance. Focus on developing a strong posterior chain so you don't ruin your lower back. Like mm -hmm. that's probably like right around 2017, I hit an injury that took me about a year, about two years really. Well, a year and a half from about mid 2017 till the ADCC trials, I had a really bad lower back injury, primarily mm -hmm. caused by very hyperactive abs and quads and not really identifying that and just letting it linger for years. And mm -hmm. then uh, that showed itself in a really bad back injury, lower back injury, and uh, took year two years to recover from that and that's been a big part of what i've been doing the past year and a half in order to kind of fix my lower back pain i don't really have lower back pain at all anymore and uh you know i feel a lot stronger more agile and just all around a more competent athlete with the okay. dominance. and so i mean there, there are other things that i could say like the visualization you know with maybe like the the concept of a high wrist and the centerline switch that would be a good one uh, I remember when I watched John Danher's uh, YouTube video on the guillotine, that kind of irritated me because I, I, what I thought I was doing, I wasn't doing, but what I was doing, I was actually doing it the right way. And it was, it was just, just, just kind of, just kind of irritating. But, okay. um, yes. Yes. So, um, wait, wait, where, where did we get there? Sorry. I got totally sidetracked. Um, visualization. You were talking about some of the other things you would tell the white belt you. Oh, yeah, yeah, white belt me, yeah. So that glute dominant, just because it, it would have led to more effective use of my time and less time spent injured. And so elaborate on that a little bit. You've, you've talked about that a few times. I'm not sure how much you went to, into it at the beginning of the show. I forget. Mm -hmm. But what exactly are you doing? Uh, so it'll be like using the so right or a foam roller or I have uh, this like crazy back thing or a wand or I use a okay. metal bunch of different things to try and loosen up my uh, quads and my hip flexors, the rest of my muscles mm -hmm. in my body, loosening everything up. Okay. And then there are a series of exercises that I'll do that uh, try to target the posterior chain to try and get it uh, stronger and more dominant. So that it's the actual force. And the way I like to describe it is it's like a giant grabbing you here and then, oop, 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 and then the end of, your, end of your toes right here. And then that giant pulls you apart. And that's okay. kind of what your posterior chain does is the giant has those two grips there and it pulls you apart. Okay. And that when you're in actually in that, that boat and it, we're meant to be in that most of the time. But if you look at jujitsu, top of side control, top of mount, you know, passing clothes, guard, we're always in this like, you mm. know, bowed spinal position yeah. to try and control somebody. So we permanently get stuck here and this is where we feel great. And this is dude, I lived here. For a long time, like I lived here, this is where I just was, and this caused a lot of damage. But I just like keep my pec super tight, and by calming everything down and pulling my uh, shoulder blades back, that actually has led to a, a pretty sharp decrease in. Uh, I have a like a heart arrhythmia actually. Okay. That, that's actually, yeah, yeah, not 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 crazy, but uh, right around 20, 2014. I uh, got electrocuted a couple times and then uh, developed an arrhythmia. Nothing fixed it until I saw, uh, and this is one of my sponsors here. I saw Cat's Chiropractic, and uh, he adjusted my thoracic vertebra, and that actually took care of a lot of my heart arrhythmia. And I realized that my posture was kind of heavily connected to, there's probably a nerve that's getting pinched or something, but when I'm in good posture, I don't have that arrhythmia. But it was scary to go like beep, beep, bloop, reset, 
beep, beep, bloop, and that would be like my heart when I'd be going to sleep. It was, it was, it was, it was spooky. Wow. That, 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 yeah, yeah. So funny thing, the chiropractor fixed my heart injury. Really, wow. really kind of a strange, strange uh, episode. But uh, and then since then, trying to keep myself in that good posture. But I kind of realized that you can't just fix the bones. Like you have to fix the fascia, the muscle, and the bones. Okay. So that that's where all the glute dominant stuff comes in. Is trying to get the muscle and the fascia and the bones all aligned the way that they're supposed to. So we have the proper posture that we're supposed to have engaged. And that leads to a decrease in injury, increase in general happiness, increase in ability to train, which is all everything. This is what this is all about, right? Trying to maximize our growth through jujitsu. You know, that, that, that's sort of how I see it. You, so know you talked mean? earlier about, you said, oh, I should put out a video about this. You did a BJJ Fanatics, right? You did a... Uh, two. You did two. Yep. You did yep. two. Mastering the guillotine and then the no-gi game plan. Um, so the, the guillotine side of that, that's sort of specifically what I do in that regard, uh, things that I've studied from other people and a couple drills and some interesting things. And the no gi game plan is just like a generalized lesson that I would like to give to any blue, purple, or brown belt, like kind of like the things that I think are most valuable for me. I spent a lot of time talking about posture, talk about how to walk properly, talk about, uh, various, uh, concepts of when you're, uh, engaging somebody on the feet. Like how you want to be standing, how you want your hands to be set, the grips you use, how you move, uh, and then some basic passing, and then uh, how I attack the mountain, how I attack the back. So that was kind of the rough, rough ideas, like the whole idea of jiu-jitsu is get the fight to the ground, get past the legs, hierarchy of mount, get the submission. Any plans to do any more of those? Yeah, I was talking to Joe. That was the podcast I just most recently did with BJJ Fanatics. Uh, I think I did that two days ago. It was a lot okay. of fun. Really like Joe. Uh, he is uh, an all-American wrestler as well. He apparently got eighth at the NCWA. So that, that was fun. That was a fun thing to find out. Uh, and I don't know, man. Like, and this is something that I've always uh, had a bit. I guess dilemma is the right word for it. But like, I'm in such a absorption stage of knowledge. Like I'm uh, trying to absorb as much information as I can from as many different sources that I don't really feel I'm able to put together the package that I would like yet and ship that out to people. Mm -hmm. So the, you know, I don't want to say they were the lowest quality product that I produced, you know, those instructionals, but that their works in progress. And I feel that what I'd be able to produce in three or four years is going to be way greater than that right now, as I try to absorb more information, make it a better package and deliver it to people. Because I think uh, where instructors in the next three to four years are really going to shine is how well can you take all this information that's out there, get into a digestible format, and give it to the people that want to learn. Yeah. And like whoever can figure out that process of not just obtaining the information, but packaging it and delivering it to people, uh, that's where the future is, is going to be. Like Keenan is probably the guy who's done it you know, as well as anybody. So... I would like to at some point start something along those lines. But as I said, right now, I just feel like I'm in such an absorption and growth phase. It's a slight cop out, but, uh, you know, I feel it's just going to take, take some more, more experience, more studying, more, more pulling these different, uh, instructionals together and more instructionals that I'm not really happy with. You know, sometimes you just got to go out there and make this best you can and learn what you can from that and make a better product the next time. Mm -hmm. And that's all these competitions, right? Like most of my competitions at black belt were losses. And like every time you lose, it sucks. You know, you go through your darkness, but then you grow back like the phoenix and you get stronger. And the more you lose, the more you have the opportunity to grow. How long have you had your black belt now? Four, four years as of okay. June 18th. Okay. So, yeah, it's been, it's been great. You get that so, first degree on there? Yes, sir. All I've got right. it. Right. Congratulations. Hey, hey, on my wall, man. Very yeah. Cool. Yeah. It's, uh, it's crazy how, like, it feels like my brown belt days weren't that long ago, but then, like, I take a look at the timeline, and it's just like, oh, wow, yeah, there's a lot of, lot, 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 lot of things <laughs> on there, man, yeah. Uh, 
was a pretty, uh, you know, a lot of losses, a lot of injuries, a lot of good things as well. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think when, uh, you know, especially jujitsu athletes kind of look back on what they've done, most of us have kind of a rough tale to tell. There aren't too many guys that just win everything. Mm-hmm. And there are some of them, you know, there are a few Nicholas Marigales, there are some Gordon Ryans, there are, you know, other people that dominate really well. By and large, most of us suffer a lot. Half of everybody loses in the first round. And it's going to be mostly losses. Like even those of us such as myself that get to taste that great glory. You know, I had three huge, really uh, uh, meaningful events for me where I All-American, where I uh, won Pan Ams and the ADCC trials. So those are three amazing, stupendous events. But underneath all that is like, bro, 200 events that sucked. <laughs> so like that, that's just the nature of this and you, you have to love that process of going out there getting crushed beaten down and then being forced to grow stronger so you get broken and some of us uh become stronger at the places where we were broken so that's okay. uh sort of how i view competition I like idea of trying okay. to grow through. yeah so other than achieving the rank of black belt which you've done mm-hmm. what is your ultimate goal in jiu-jitsu do you have one um, yes, yes. Uh, and I've tried to think of, uh, like the best way of putting the concept into words, but just sort of, uh, full wholeheartedly embracing every process of mastery, uh, which means not just having great technique and trying to, you know, uh, piece together the parts that you have, but always in a constant search for new information, always looking myself over when a blue belt or a white belt says something that I immediately in my mind just want to brush off. It's like, no, 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 no. There could be something to that. You know, there could be some very valuable information there. I'm not going to allow myself to just cast it aside. I'm going to take an honest look at it and try to absorb that information as best I can, looking for information in everywhere I can find it. And then taking what I can, trying to process it down, making it valuable, and just trying to hone that process. Not actually trying to reach some destination in particular, but just trying to find the best way to learn jujitsu and uh, the best way to live a lifestyle that's conducive to jujitsu. Because I sort of see the jujitsu uh, is like uh, plants; they make poisons. So it's sort of like jujitsu. I kind of see it as sort of like the chemicals that like the organism itself produces. So it's like the organism produces it, but a plant relies a lot on its environment. So I feel a lot of jujitsu guys are just focused on how can they make their poison as deadly as possible. They're not focused on the environment for their plant. So that, that, that's where a lot of my focus comes in, you know, like trying to eat and drink on time, trying to get to sleep on time, taking the right supplements, trying to focus on that environment around you, how you study, how you train, how you prepare for that. So every environmental component that you can gain some control over is where a lot of my focus lies. Not necessarily just the greatest jujitsu. I'm trying to study that. I'm trying to get as poisonous of jujitsu as possible, but I'm wholeheartedly focused on that process of trying to make the plant as strong as possible. I like that. Poisonous as poisonous at jujitsu. Yes. Yes. And that's what most athletes are considering. Like they, 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 most of us, somebody send me that shirt. Somebody put that on a shirt and send it to me. Most of us jujitsu guys, man, you know, we kind of screw off a little bit. We show up and, you know, oh, the warm up was 10 minutes ago. Let's train. And we just kind of get the training. We do our thing. And it's just like all I'm trying to do is like get better at rolling. Maybe I drill five minutes after class, but that's what I do. I do 10 of those a week. And that's how a lot of jujitsu guys operate. And that will get you good. But I'm not after good, man. I want more than that. I want to find the best path forward to improve myself in both personal and jujitsu. The jujitsu being the poison part of the plant. And then, uh, the uh, environment being my own life around it. So that's sort of the metaphor that I've constructed for that. And just sort of okay. what my goal really is, is finding the ideal environment to enhance your growth in jujitsu. Very nice. I like it. 
process, work in progress. And that's what it all comes down to, right? No destinations, only journeys. All right. And the next question is, what is the craziest jujitsu related thing that's happened to you on or off the mat, even an event? Craziest thing. Uh, definitely Copa Podio when, uh, you know, after suplexing Herbert Santos and the people like chanting my name there, <laughs> that is something I don't know how many like tens of thousands of humans in history have gotten to enjoy like that, that sensation of an entire room full of people just 100% behind you in your corner, chanting your name, just the energy fully consuming you. And the weirdest thing was that I had lost. So I had slammed Herbert twice and then he submitted me and the people just kept chanting my name. And it was like the sensation in that moment of just like, there was more going on in that room than just jujitsu. There was something else going on in there. Some like human spirit, yada, yada, whatever you want to call it. But like in that moment when the crowd got behind me chanting my name, like I felt something there. I don't think I'll ever feel again. And I think that that sensation of just people being full wholeheartedly behind you, it happened once before in my league finals because I was fighting somebody in wrestling that wasn't a good friend that people did not like. So they were full wholeheartedly behind me. But that wasn't anything like uh, what Copa Podio was like. So that would absolutely be on a shadow of a doubt be the uh, – craziest thing that's happened to me in jiu-jitsu and that's on youtube so grab and put it on youtube so if you want uh it's just uh john combs argentina it'll pop up it's 15 minutes it's good time i think it's a great video i'm gonna take a look all right so this is one of our newer questions what is, and and i don't know i'm i'm testing this one on you so uh i don't know how uh, people are going to feel about answering this one so what's your biggest weakness what's the oh. thing that you're always working on heel improve? hooks and knee bars brah heel yeah. hooks and knee bars okay Right. What's an Eba, Milton? That, that is, <laughs> oh my God. Like if you look at my like circle of jujitsu, like circle of jujitsu knowledge, like talking about poisons and whatnot, and, like you have like little branches going off from the center. So like your arm bar, your triangle, your front headlock, you know, all your, your, more, your various systems. Like I've got a decent idea of straight ankles, offense and defense, an okay-ish idea of outside, inside heel hooks. But man, my knee bars are a gigantic hole in my game. And then, uh, you know, the heel hooks are also, you know, there's, I will never have as much information as I need on heel hooks, knee bars, straight ankles, that whole leg lock attack. That's definitely the area I'm weakest in. And I would say that that comes from the, uh, um, I don't want to say the word incorrect, but I disagree with the concept of a lot of gi jiu-jitsu schools where they say no straight ankle, but they, they strongly discourage straight ankles and then they do not allow toe holds and knee bars until brown belt. And I understand the value behind that but i didn't learn heel hooks until 2017 a year into black belt like really? i learned some kind of shenanigansy defense but i never really learned leg locks i didn't really seek them out because they just weren't a thing that uh, you know was exchanged that much and, and granted another part of it was i just didn't have much interest in them mm -hmm. but i never early on studied leg locks i studied a lot of passing i studied the back attack i studied you know various guillotines front headlocks kimuras like i studied a pretty complete picture of jujitsu but my uh, uh, pin escapes and my leg locks were two areas that kind of withered. And over the past two years, that's been the areas I've been trying to grow the most. So I'm trying to get that circle of jujitsu knowledge that's complete. And that, uh, like I said, up to, you don't obtain that. That's a journey. And every day you've got to try and uh, you know, pay the lease on that journey. And maybe you can get close to having that complete set of knowledge. But nobody has it. Not Gordon, not John, not nobody. So okay. you know, it's that process of trying to obtain that full, full picture. All right. 
Next question is, again, this is one of our newer questions, and, uh, and uh, so we're, gonna, we're testing these out on you. Uh, what do you do when you're not on the mats? I saw a pitch of you working on the, on the, the mats with your friends. We talked a little bit yesterday about gardening, which yes, I yeah. actually I'm dying to get my new house to, uh, to put in, <laughs> plant my own garden like when I was a kid and, and, and tended the garden with my father. So, uh, so wh what do you do off the mats? Uh, well, I have picked up in the past, you know, two or three weeks, a little gardening habit. You know, I'd kind of been throwing the idea around, you know, I'm here in Boulder. It's beautiful right now. I mean, springtime and uh, like late springtime in Boulder is one of the most magical times of the year for this area. So I'd, uh, I have, as I showed you a picture of right behind me, I have a pretty nice little spatch of green. And, you know, I just got inspired, wanted to, you know, I'd spent so much time in this in this room, which looks nice now. It didn't did not look nice Monday. Did not. Mm. not it was a mess. <laughs> Disgusting. And I just kind of like, I'm sure a lot of us are right now is ruminating in my juices, man. You know, I tried my best to keep things clean, but, you know, things weren't great in here, man. I mean, dude, it took me like 15 man hours to clean my room. And, you know, the gardening is probably another 10 or 15 that I've done. And that's all in an interest of trying to create a better environment for myself right now because I spend so much time in here now. And it was just kind of me realizing that, man, this is uh, – I'm not feeling good right now. I, I'm not excited to come home. I don't feel happy here. So mm -hmm. I uh, changed the environment. That's probably going to look too extreme, but just that I didn't feel, uh, I did not enjoy the presence of my, my home. And so I decided to change that, planted a lot of uh, different uh, plants and uh, I actually planted a lot of vegetables and flowers and whatnot. And that's all just trying to, as I said, create that environment that will maximize my jujitsu growth. So while this has also been done in an attempt to improve my own health and happiness, it is primarily as my main goal is all trying to get closer to that process of uh, perfecting my rate of progress of improving jujitsu. Okay. Something. Yes. All right. Next question. This is a, this is a big one. Mm -hmm. We uh, again, we ask all these questions, but this is my favorite, and I think this is probably the most important question I'll ask you today. Now, when was the let me ask you this first? This is the, when was the last time you trained in the gate? This week for sure, Wednesday. Okay, so recently. Okay, yeah. So yeah. we yeah. ask this question of everyone: mm -hmm. Do you wash your belt, and why? Do you or do you, do you or do you not wash your belt, and why? I I have never washed my belt, <laughs> and it takes away all of the information and power. <laughs> all of the soul juju just disappears when it washes. Yeah. I mean, so that that comes to um, there is quite a bit of negative dark side energy that courses through jujitsu, like uh, habits that we do that don't necessarily improve anything. Uh, like the concept of like, if you're a purple belt and you got beat up coming up that you feel you got to beat up on that blue belt and that cycle of, uh, you know, being hard on people like, Oh, we're going to beat the crap out of each other. Everybody's going to get tougher. It's like eh, a little bit. That's okay. But you know, really there are some other, so there's just a few things that I, I don't necessarily agree with on that cultural side. And that's uh, definitely one of them. So wash or not what do you, you wash? Yeah. Okay. Gonna... I, I try. I try to smell, and I have three. Oh. I have three. I have three black belts. Uh, one that I use commonly, mm -hmm. and I will wash that when it smells bad. Another that I'll use if the other one's not quite ready, and then the one that I actually got promoted. You know, 2016. Mm -hmm. I keep that one separate. I don't wear that one. Uh, I lost it for a few months, and then okay. I found it again. And that one I'm going to hold on to. That okay. of all of any belt that I have, that's the only. 
one that has true significance. Like I have other, but like I have a white, a blue, a purple, and a brown. But I okay. don't exactly know if those were mine. I think they were. I don't know. But uh, this this one was tied on my waist. So this is my black belt. We'll put you on Team Wash Your Belt. There's going to be a big flashing hashtag on the screen when we put the video out that says Team Wash Your Belt. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> All right, John. Let me give let me give you a chance to shout out your sponsors, training partners, anything that you uh, anybody you want to say hello to or or send a thank you to. This is your time. Oh yeah. Well, let's start it out. I got my list. So thank you to uh, Genesis. They uh, got some great rash guards. They got some great shorts. They got great kimonos uh, in order to garb you before you do your jujitsu. They uh, have supported me quite well. I'm looking forward to wearing their gear when I go uh, represent Jits King. Uh, big thank you to Penguin Fingers. Can you see that? Oh, yeah. Look at that little guy. Yeah. <laughs> Cold compresses for your fingers. You can freeze them. They take about an hour to freeze. Take them out. Prop them on your fingers. Great for maintaining uh, hand strength and taking away, uh, you know, the little aches and pains we get in day to day life uh, that are part of jujitsu. Whether you're training in the gi or not, your fingers will get hurt. Get some penguin fingers to help maintain them and keep yourself healthy. Uh, then uh, we also got Cat's Chiropractic. You know, he's uh, the guy who was saying uh, I saw him first in 2011 to take care of a shoulder injury. And then in early 2014 to uh, adjust my thoracic spine that did incredible work to uh, fix a heart arrhythmia. Like actually before I'd seen him, I wasn't, wasn't even able to do 30 minutes of activity. And then after he adjusted my T-spine, uh, I was able to do two hours again. And that, that was just insane. That was also – I was uh, 20 – I was 23 then, so I definitely should have been able to do 30 minutes of exercise. So, so uh, big thanks to Katsu. He's done a lot to help my spine over the years, and more than that, helped me fix out just about every injury I've gotten over the years. Uh, it's very difficult to maintain a good pace of momentum going forward in jiu-jitsu because you get injured so much. So having a good healthcare professional on your team is vital, and I'm, I'm beyond grateful for uh, Dr. Katz. Uh, in addition to Dr. Katz, I have Dr. Vasily Iliopoulos. He runs Rocky Mountain Regenerative Medicine here in Boulder, Colorado. They have some insane space-age treatments, and uh, they've done a lot to help me out with uh, ozone therapy and uh, you know whatnot with the various things that he likes to uh, do there to help improve people's general health. So a big thank you to Rocky Mountain Regenerative Medicine. Uh, and then another quick shout out to uh, Revo Sports Therapy. You know, I've uh, he was uh, this gentleman, Matt Smith, uh, ran that. He did a lot of good things for me uh, in my preparation for the ADCC. So I'd like to thank him as well. And uh, yeah, let's finish up with Jits King, man. You know, we're talking here yeah. because of them. They're, yeah. uh, this is the first event that I think is going on since quarantine began. Am I wrong? No, 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 no. The they're first, their, their first event, yeah. They're doing that today, right? No, 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 no. Their, their first event is the, is June 13th, but then they're doing something right after that, I think. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think I'm on with them on the latter part of June. I'm not sure. I know I'm with Jits King and yeah. grateful for them. But uh, yeah, you know, good, good. Big shout out to them for let's uh, getting back on with our normal lives. And like I said, we all it's that continuum. We all got to pick where we're at, and you know, I'm ready to get back to it. Let's get back to training. Let's get back to living. Let's you know try to maximize ourselves. And one thing that I do want to mention on the COVID front that I've heard a few other people talking about, especially like Joe Rogan, is just how let, let's focus on building our immune system and making each human more uh, able to fight this off rather than just trying to keep ourselves isolated away from each other. Just, okay. just you know, agreed. So. Agreed. Yes. Vitamin D. Yep. Yep. <laughs> All right. Very cool. John, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate you doing this. You've been great. You gave us a lot of great advice. We're going to let you go, but uh, good luck at the event. Uh, I will, I'm hope to meet you. Uh, I don't know if we could shake hands. We'll like, we'll wave like awkwardly at each other, but yes. uh, good luck at the event. Again, hopefully we meet you up there, but uh, anytime you want to come back, uh, you know, after you win the entire event, come back on, tell us about it, you know, so. 
Milton, one thing I can't say, when I uh, had my first initial Jits King, that would have been uh, last year in July, I was in Tampa, but Dan Martinez had a very good time against him. I expected to get a crown, Milton. I uh, thought if I won that, I was going to get the stinking crown, so I was uh, bragging about that, and then and I won, and well, honestly, that the, the wooden yeah. plank, which you can see, yeah. that, oh, these yeah, things I like those. I'm stoked on them, yeah. and that was cool. That was a nice consolation prize. And you got a big check? Did you get a big check? No, 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 because uh, I was super fight. I oh, super fight. okay, okay. Now, if I win, well, excuse me, mm. right, when I go to the 16-man bracket and I win the whole stinking thing, I want that crown. I got you, yeah. I want that crown like in, in a very spiritual kind of way. I really want to seize that. Money would be great, sure, whatever. But like, I fought <laughs> for Jits King twice. I've been on every event that they've done. And I just feel this this event is leading up to uh, feed perfectly into where I'm kind of peaking right now. I expect a lot of other people are peaking as well. We'll find out who has spent the past, you know, what is it, 10 weeks? Who spent these past 10 weeks better? Mm. Let's find out. I, I, I it. spent it terribly for four weeks. I spent it great the past six. I'm okay. ready to see what's going on. I'm, I'm ready to, you know, get back out there and do the thing I love more than anything else in this universe. And that's compete in jujitsu. All right, John, again, we appreciate you. We're going to let you go. I've got to, I want everybody else to stick around. We're going to read off some of our giveaways, but we appreciate you. Thank you so much. And uh, I'll let you know when we, uh, when we air this probably Monday or Tuesday. Okay. That is amazing. Turnaround. Right, appreciate it. You have a great day, sir. Oof. Thank you. Thank you, brother. You take care, man. Ah. All right, everybody stick around. We're going to go through some of our giveaways. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about um, uh, the, uh, the, 20 gift cards that we're going to be giving away the 20 25 gift cards so uh let's give the rundown let's get rid of john here all right all right so thank you again to fightback cbd use code jjd for 50 percent off your order at fightbackcbd.com check out the podcast store at jujitsu dummies.shop uh, you get 10 percent off with coupon code dummies pod 21 and we have new ranked rash guards, uh, T-shirts, face shields are those gators that John was just talking about before. We have our our, uh, our logos printed on those as well. Backpacks, coffee mugs, and you get free shipping on orders over $50, okay? Anybody out there would like to work with the show, sponsor, we've got a new backdrop that Bo designed, or you want to donate products for giveaway, please reach out via email or on social media at Jiu-Jitsu Dummies, pretty much anywhere. At, that's Facebook, Instagram, Reddit, and Twitter. All right, you can also visit our website at jujitsudummies.com and you can send an email to info at jujitsudummies.com as well. Our contact page lets you suggest a sponsor or suggest a guest, potential guest, uh, and tell us who you want to you know, see on the show. So uh, podcast patrons for March, April, and May, we've just started to announce and send out packages. So that's been really cool. So thank you everyone for your patience. We appreciate you. Britt Tover is uh, our first podcast patron winner for March. Her package just went out, so she won a flow kimono, a bottle of Fightback CBD, and a few other goodies that we put in the package for her. So thank you for your patience, guys, and uh, and it's going to pay off with the stuff that we're sending out. If you'd like to become a podcast patron, visit patreon.com forward slash jujitsu dummies. You can join, support, and be automatically entered to win two drawings. Both of those drawings are at least $100 in jujitsu swag every single month. I believe that we'll be sending a gi out to every winner uh, and that gi is going to be the ones that we're working on with flow and roll okay we're also including in those those giveaways in that raffle essentially 
any of the listeners who submitted questions that we use on the show. Okay, you're automatically entered into those drawings as well. So good luck, everybody. So shout out to our newest podcast patrons, Frank House. We just used one of his questions on the show. Liam Berg, who's listening overseas in Scotland, and Wolseley Rivera down here in Florida. All right, those are our newest podcast patrons. But we want to thank, let's get a, a good shot of this T-shirt, Bo. All right, shout out to Boa Athletics. Uh, you can check them out on IG at BOA underscore athletics. They're one of our podcast patrons. Thank you guys for the shirt. We appreciate you. Uh, also want to shout out Michael Pixley Jr., Jason Smiley, Eric Perkins, Again, Britt Tover, James Fisher, CJ Carroll in Mission 22, Chuck Reddor, and Roberto Santiago. You guys can check me out at Uncle Milty BJJ on Instagram, and you can check out our Jiu-Jitsu Dummies Foundation at the JJD Foundation. Again, on IG, on Twitter, it's the JJ Dummies FDN. Right, we're still raising money for the foundation where we're going to be awarding a scholarship to a deserving child in need. That's going to come probably before the end of June. We'll be giving away our first one. So that's going to be really awesome. So you're probably seeing the GoFundMe link on screen right now, but it's also in the description on the podcast. All right. Uh, there's still time for you to enter our, our really big giveaway that we're doing. It's $500 in gift cards. So it's 20 $25 gift cards to the podcast store. Uh, that was in celebration of us reaching our 20th episode last week and 10,000 likes on Facebook, along with about 3,200 followers on Instagram. We're, we're right there. As soon as we hit 10,000 likes on Facebook, we're going to do the raffle essentially and give everything away. All right. Again, uh, that'll be uh, gift cards to the jujitsu dummies dot shop. Okay. So in order to, to win, you've got to subscribe to, or this is how you enter, you have to subscribe to our YouTube channel, that's free. Follow us on Instagram, that's free. Like us on Facebook, that's free. So for each person, that, that's though you do those three things, you're, you're entered to win. For each person you tag on Instagram or Facebook, you're going to get one additional entry, right? If you become a podcast patron, you'll get one additional entry for each dollar you pledge. The smallest package is $5 a month. All right, that's it. Pretty simple. Maybe I made it a little confusing, but I think it's pretty simple. Bo's laughing at me behind the camera. He's like, hey, hey, hey. all right. So a uh, big shout out again and a thank you to Jis Kings. We've got their banner up in the studio. Uh, uh, thank you to Flow and Roll. Both of them have been really great about uh, helping us, uh, you know, get the show out to the masses. Um, you know, Jits King, Jits King and, and introduced us to John. So uh, uh, big thank you. And uh, I think John was great. So uh, thank you to Bo behind the camera. And that, that's it, everybody. I appreciate you guys all for watching and listening. Uh, just stay safe. Stay home if you can. And we'll see you on the mats pretty soon. Us.